When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In a world where every conversation is about what movie or TV show you've just seen, this is Never Seen It. Comedians rewriting famous movies and TV shows they've never seen. Hey everybody, this is Never Seen It. I'm your host, Kyle Ayers. This is the podcast where comedians rewrite famous movies they've never seen before. Today, this is a short, it's a short episode. I, I debate, this is going to be really fun. This is going to be really ridiculous, very weird, and very fun. Today is a fan script episode, but it is also a fan script performance. Does that make sense? I think it should make sense. Uh, Nick sent me this. Nick has never seen Duck Soup. A movie that uh, Nick apparently thought was a silent film, a movie I've never heard of. It's from the 30s. But Nick sent me a script, and it was, a, you know, he rewrote Duck Soup and what he thought it was. But then he also sent me a file of himself and a few other podcast fans re- doing a read of the script, and it's very funny and it's very fun. And so I thought, why not just uh, no ads, no nothing, real quick, just let you guys listen to it. I think it's so funny. I, I want to do more fan script episodes. You can hit me up at info at neverseenitshow.com if you have a fan script. If we've never done it, if I haven't done it on the show before, resend it. I'm very disorganized, and uh, a lot of it was with the past producers of the show and things like that, keeping track, and I no longer have that. So info at neverseenitshow.com if you want to send me that, and heck, if you want to do a read, that's also very fun. Just, you know, have fun with it, and if it's not wildly offensive, and it's fun, you know, Maybe not all the time, but I think this is a, this is a cool thing. So Nick has never seen Duck Soup, a uh, fan of the show. He's never seen it. He rewrote it here. This is along with Andy and Devin and Adam. You can find Nick at exclamation Nick on Twitter. Devin is T-E-H-S-N-O-R-K-E-R. It's like the snorker, but te snorker. Adam is kick Assatron, and Andy is Darth Plato. They're all on uh, Twitter. Find them there and be like, that's fun. Duck Soup which I cannot believe is real, but here we go. So it, uh, this is too long already. You want to find me on Patreon, patreon.com slash never seen it. Find the show at never seen it show on Instagram and Twitter, all that sort of stuff. But this is not about me. This is about Nick and this is about Adam and this is about Devin and, and this is about Andy. Enjoy their uh, script. Well, Nick's script. That, yeah. Uh, but I'll, I'll go ahead. Uh, this is uh, Nick, Nick Page has never seen Duck Soup, a film I thought was a Groucho Marx movie of the silent film era until I was told that it's not silent. And a script I wrote as a silent film anyway. And I'm joined by some lovely folks. We've got Andy. We've got Devin. We've got Adam. Hello. Hey. Hey. Everybody say how much you love Kyle. We love you, Kyle. <laughs> love you, Kyle. Fuck you, Kyle. I mean, what? Sorry, typo. He's uh, all right. I'll go ahead and cast the parts now. Uh, we have Karl Marx, a poor and hungry immigrant. Uh, Adam, could you please play Karl Marx? Yeah. Uh, Rube Goldberg, 
Carl's landlord and primary antagonist. Uh, Devin, could you please play that part? It would be a pleasure. And then we have left the soup, Carl's roommate and a literal soup, and the duck, the MacGuffin, both small parts. Andy, could you please cover both of those? I feel like I'm going to nail these. All righty. And introducing intertitles, the proper name for when dialogue was displayed on screen in the silent film era. Interior, 1920s era New York kitchen, day. Karl Marx enters, crawling through his open kitchen window, wearing an oversized Chekhov's brand novelty fake mustache. Before he is fully inside, the window falls on his ankle. We see him scream in pain as an intertitle card flashes large text on the screen. Ouchie, that capitalist window fell on my ankle. (laughs) Karl Marx slips the rest of the way inside and stands up to directly address the camera. We can clearly see him speaking for the better part of a minute, gesticulating wildly towards the camera. He removes his wallet from the pocket of his tattered pants and opens it upside down. No money falls out of the wallet. Karl Marx then does a backflip and resumes speaking directly to camera for two more minutes. Like I'm going to do a lot. There's a lot of scene direction. This is a silent film. An (laughs) intertitle card displays reading. I'm hungry. Hard cut to the soup simmering blissfully on the stovetop of Karl's kitchen. The soup wants to help. It really does. The soup has been Carl's roommate in this overpriced piece-of-shit apartment for nearly three years now, and while the soup would never admit it because of the norms of the era, they've slowly developed a homosexual love for Carl. If smell-o-vision had existed in the silent film era, we would be smelling a mixture of steamy vegetable broth and even steamier forbidden romance. I'm so glad it exists right now, (laughs) (laughs) smell-o-vision. Exactly. smell the romance a short series of bubbles rise and pop on the surface of the soup and an intertitle card is shown the text is in italics so that the audience can see that the soup is gay <laughs> Karl Marx my roommate if you had uh, a duck you this, could this, make this is a part for the oh, soup I don't... I'm not the soup I thought it was the soup and you, the duck. you are the soup yeah this, this, this is the soup speaking now yeah that was the oh soup. I thought it was still Adam, my mistake. <laughs> they chose a similar accent. I'm very sorry. Yes, you, you, did, you did both go with a... No, no, I can do a different one. If he's going German, I can go... I thought it was him still. I wasn't looking. I'm I also sorry. intend on doing German. I don't know if Rube Goldberg was, but... Oh, uh, yeah. Maybe oh, I man. try and do Russian, but that's going to be an ask. <laughs> um, do Irish. Save the German for the duck. Save the German for the duck. All right. Or the Russian. Irish for the soup. <clears throat> Karl Marx, my roommate, if you had a duck, you could make duck soup. And then if you ate duck soup, you'd no longer be hungry, resolving the as yet only conflict in this silent film. Irish was for sure the right choice. It was perfect. <laughs> it was perfect. We cut back to a wide shot and see Karl Marx with arms akimbo pretend to quack like a duck, so we know that he understands this. We zoom in to an extreme close-up of Carl's face and can clearly lip-read him saying, Aha! An intertitle card appears. You're right. The soup as always. A duck would be satisfactory. Resolve my dilemma. Luckily, my landlord, Rube Goldberg, has many ducks. I shall call for him at once, using the pulley he constructed for me, should I ever need him. Karl Marx walks to a piece of string hanging from a pulley in the ceiling that has always been visible. I don't know why you're just noticing it now. At the end of the string is a piece of paper with landlord written on it. Karl Marx pulls on the string, which causes a lever to pivot, knocking over a series of dominoes. 
the dominoes tumble one after the other and slither their way across the kitchen to a ball on the counter, which, when struck, falls off the counter and continues to bounce until it strikes a match. The match burns for what feels like way too long before we see it ignite a fuse in the corner of the room. The fuse burns its way across the kitchen before we see it approach a pile of firecrackers next to a sleeping duck. Yes, the duck and firecrackers have always been there, but we've all been too distracted by the raw sexual magnetism of the soup to notice. Suddenly, the firecrackers violently explode. But you know, they're pretty small, and we can't hear them, so it's a bit underwhelming. But it does wake the sleeping duck, who promptly flies out of the kitchen window. It's such an impressive feat of practical special effects for the time that nobody notices the continuity error of the window closing on Karl Marx's ankle earlier in the film. Rube Goldberg enters the kitchen in the style of Cosmo Kramer, because that plays well to the camera. He is carrying the duck, and the live studio audience cheers wildly, but we don't hear that because this is a silent film. Rube Goldberg is wearing a suit befitting a rich capitalist landlord. Additional ducks pop in and out of all of his pockets, but the duck, still in his hands, remains stoic. This is a professional silent film duck actor. Intertitle cards appear rapid fire now. Karl Marx, you pulled? Karl Marx points at the soup. Rube Goldberg. My capitalist landlord, I am poor and hungry and in need of ducks so that I might produce duck soup and eat duck soup to no longer be hungry. Rube Goldberg makes a condescending capitalist face. <laughs> but, but Karl Marx, I have a monopoly on ducks. How do you expect to produce duck soup without any means to do so? Karl Marx slaps his face with both hands and does the Home Alone aftershave scream, which we again <laughs> cannot hear. I feel that you could give me a duck from your ability to possess so many, according to my need for a duck. Rube Goldberg and all of the ducks in his pockets laugh harder at this than any joke they have ever heard. But not the duck. The duck doesn't laugh. <laughs> you are a funny man, Karl Marx. The world does not work this way. Ducks don't care about your feelings. I was proud of that one. Rube Goldberg is not done speaking, but a new intertitle card appears, with text that is just barely big enough to read on the screen, because he is about to say a lot. However, Karl Marx, I am not the cruel capitalist landlord. I don't know what this accent is anymore. It's You're just going to have to yep. go with me. <laughs> I have compassion for the plight of the duckless rabble that are forced to hand over all of their income to me in exchange for a studio kitchen apartment with a single window that won't stay open and or closed, depending on what is most funny for the plot at the time. As such, I propose a wager. A new intertitle card appears on screen, the text bookended by music notes to indicate that this text represents hearing a song. Get ready to play before, before and after. after. I don't know if that effect worked or not. I don't have any monitors. It did. That was incredible. Sweet. All right. It vaguely worked. Yeah. <laughs> I'll try to take it's it one perfect. more time at a higher register. Get ready to play, play before and after. after. All right, sweet. One of those is going to work. We all nailed it. <laughs> yeah, we're good. Rube Goldberg lifts the duck over his head as an offering, and Karl Marx solemnly nods in acceptance. If you can tell me the smashed-together name of my favorite fictional silent film by combining the names of two other movies from their smashed-together plots, I will happily give you The Duck. 
Okay, here we go. After a gentle alien is stranded on Earth, he is befriended by a young boy named John Connor, who helps him phone home. Until a second generation and more advanced version of the alien comes to kill the boy to secure the future for Skynet. Cut to a close-up of Karl Marx. A light bulb is above his head. This bare exposed bulb is the only light in the apartment and clearly an electrical code violation that Rube Goldberg will never fix because that is not how capitalism works. Karl Marx smiles wide, but this is obscured by his oversized Chekhov's brand novelty fake mustache. Is it... Avatarminator? Rube Goldberg, with a moneyed twinkle in his eye, slowly lowers the duck and grins. Unfortunately, Karl Marx, the answer is E.T. 2, Judgment Day. No duck soup for you. Hey, you picked the right accent. All right, sweet. <laughs> I forgot. Karl Marx appears dejected for a moment before the light bulb above his head explodes, giving him an idea. <laughs> if I do not produce duck soup, I will surely starve. As such, it appears that I have no choice but to seize the means of production. Karl Marx lunges at Rube Goldberg, tackling him on top of the kitchen table. Various ducks escape out of Rube's pockets in the scuffle. Feathers and punches are flying everywhere. Somehow, out of the fray emerges Karl Marx, gripping the duck around the neck and lofting it proudly in the air. An intertitle card appears as the duck speaks. Quack. <laughs> Perfect accent for the duck. We, we cut again to a close-up of the soup. We see dozens of bubbles rise to the surface and pop as the soup excitedly speaks. Give it to me, Daddy! <laughs> Karl Marx excitedly hurls the duck into the soup. The duck, fearing for its life, makes a dramatic and eloquent plea for mercy. Quack! Give it up for Andy, everybody. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, he, has, he has more lines. I'm just joking. I was... All right. <laughs> the audience is moved to tears, but Karl Marx pays no heed to the duck's plight. Karl Marx rushes to the stove and cranks a dial all the way to the right. However, from the corner of the frame and slightly out of focus, we see Rube Goldberg begin to stand upright. An intertitle card is displayed on screen. Not so fast, Karl Marx. Rube Goldberg grabs his last remaining duck from his ass-most pocket and throws it in a slow motion like a spiraling football across the room. The duck collides with a pane of glass that has been in the scene this whole time, but you just never noticed it until now. The glass is covering a large red button with the label, In case of means of production seizing emergency, break glass. <laughs> the glass shatters into a thousand pieces as silently as a fart at a wedding. The duck also shatters into a thousand pieces, but not before the button is struck. Immediately, a series of BBs fall down a plastic chute into a bucket near the window. The bucket begins to slowly drop from the weight of the BBs, and we can see that it is attached by a rope to a pair of scissors mounted on a pivot against the wall near the stove. <laughs> <laughs> the scissors pivot until the electrical cord for the oven's plug is clasped in its blades, and as the BBs continue to slowly fill the bucket with an ominous clicking sound that would really build the dramatic tension if this was not a silent movie, we see Karl Marx gasp. Nine! Not the power cord! <laughs> Did we have electricity back then? We had silent films, so we must have had electricity, right? The scissors succumb to the pull of the rope from the weight of the bucket as it overwhelms the integrity of a 1920s electrical cord, and the cord falls, severed into two pieces. I am pretty sure they had power cords back then, and this important one is broken now. Karl Marx turns to Rube Goldberg with a resigned look on his face and holds out one upturned palm as a sign of friendship. He opens his mouth as a new intertitle card is displayed. Rube Goldberg, 
mein dark monopolizing capitalist landlord. I see now the error of my ways, and I now know what must be done if I am not to starve. A close-up of Rube Goldberg's face shows that he is confused, but open to hearing what else Karl Marx has to say. We can resolve this conflict through friendship and concessions, specifically the popcorn concessions down at the local silent cineplex. Would you care to join me in friendship for a bucket of popped corn and a screening of the latest French silent action film, Arrival of a Train at La Chiat? Cut to a wide shot of the entire cast in the kitchen. Karl Marx is on his knees, pleading. Rube Goldberg is taken aback and skeptical. The soup and the duck are becoming intimate in a way that is mostly obscured by the pot they are in, but still visibly risque enough for this film to be banned from theaters until the 1960s when people lightened up a little bit, finally. Rube Goldberg does a, <laughs> Rube Goldberg does a cartwheel and then shrugs before an intertitle card comes on screen. But Karl Marx, my new friend, how do you suppose we pay for this excursion? You can't even afford a duck! <laughs> and my money is too vast and heavy to ever be carried out of my mansion. Cut to a close-up of Karl Marx. He smiles, and there's a glint in his eye that is accomplished by shining an incredibly, dangerously bright light at it from just out of frame. This is how Karl Marx went blind in one eye. We see one of Karl Marx's hands reach up to his oversized Chekhov's brand novelty fake mustache, and before we can even consider that he is about to rip it off of his face, Karl Marx rips the mustache off of his face, surprising everybody. Well, you see, I came to this country with nothing but the clothes on my back and 75 American dollars under my fake mustache. <laughs> That's probably more than a film and snacks would cost in this era. But it's about what I remember theater tickets and some snacks going for the last time I went to the movies. So we are going with $75. Cut to a wide shot with all characters in frame. Karl Marx is cheering. Rube Goldberg sheds a single tear. Everybody is smiling wide, but the soup is most of all because of the really sick shit the duck is doing to it just behind the lip of that pot. <laughs> Huzzah! 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 Exterior, 1920s-era movie theater, day. Karl Marx, Rube Goldberg, and the duck walk into frame from the right. They pass a street vendor stand with a sign reading, A Dozen Cookable Ducks for Five Cents, and stop under the theater marquee, which reads, That famous silent movie where the train comes towards the camera. Karl Marx buys three tickets and looks down at his remaining $15 before looking up with a gasp as an intertitle card appears. Godzooks! I've completely forgotten to buy the popcorn. Why don't you head inside and get us our seats, Rube Goldberg? The duck and I will be right in after you. With, for $15, an, an incredibly small bucket of popcorn. Rube Goldberg grins and nods excitedly and hurries into the theater. But Carl Marx and the duck just stand there. After a pause, the duck looks up at Carl and gives him a single quack before an intertitle card is displayed. We're not going to buy that popcorn, are we, Karl Marx? Karl Marx looks down at the duck, and neither of them speak. In this moment, they are in sync, and are able to communicate entirely just by looking into each other's eyes. But since the audience doesn't share this special connection, their telepathic thoughts are displayed on intertitle cards. Nine, the duck, nine. I don't think we will be buying that popcorn or seeing this film. Not to mention, of course, that we won't be seeing that capitalist pig anymore, either. 
we see a split screen shot of both Karl Marx and the duck in close up having a laughing fit, an incredibly advanced bit of filmmaking for the time, which had to be shot using a series of mirrors since there were no way to digitally impose split screens back then. <laughs> Interior, movie theater. Rube Goldberg is sitting front and center before an empty screen, which suddenly explodes to life in a wash of black and white color. Oh dear, I hope my new friends haven't been delayed at the popcorn stand. I think the movie is about to begin. We see on the screen a train in the distance. It begins to grow in size as it chug-a-choo-choos towards the screen. <laughs> wow, this is exhilarating. The train is very big now as it approaches rapidly. We see Rube Goldberg recoil in fear as an intertitle card flashes on screen. Oh, those motherfuckers. The train reaches the screen and bursts through it, spilling metal and carnage throughout the movie theater. Rube Goldberg is disintegrated instantly. The end. <laughs> uh, Credits. MCU-style post-credit scene, exterior movie theater day. Karl Marx and the duck give each other a final knowing look, and without speaking, do a half-turn and walk away from the movie theater in slow motion, which explodes in the background as they both put on sunglasses. After a few steps, Karl Marx stops and addresses the duck. So, what's your name, new friend? And do you have any hobbies? The duck looks back at his new best friend Karl Marx and emits a single quack. My name is Ingalls, Friedrich Ingalls, and I suppose my favorite hobby is writing manifestos. You don't say, Friedrich Ingalls, because I, Karl Marx, think I have an idea for one of those. The end. I have never read the Communist Manifesto either. <laughs> Thanks so much, Bravo. you guys. Oh, Jesus so Christ. <laughs> I wish I had picked Irish for the duck and apparently Samantha from Sex and the City mixed with something else <laughs> for uh, the soup. All right, let's take it from the top, everybody. All right, here we go. <laughs> uh, no, but really. I'm up for Canadian. <laughs> Oh, that was awesome. Thank you both so much. Or all three yeah, of thanks you. For, oh, thanks for not writing both. this. Everyone this but is me. Fun. <laughs> yeah, fuck you, Andy. I don't thank you. Duck guys. and soup aren't people. The duck and soup, yeah, they, <laughs> they don't have real parts, do they? <laughs> well, a little bit. The duck, I mean They're the, important the, to the, the story. Duck is Frederick Engels. I feel like I was just getting into the, the into groove the of the Irish film. and then I had to go to something else. And why I settled on <laughs> What I thought originally was going to be Samantha from Sex and the City, why I settled on that, I have no idea. <laughs> In a silent film, the characters with the fewest lines are the most important, perhaps. I don't Ooh. think... Mm, thematic. Yeah. Isn't that a thing? Is that... Do people say that? I don't know. Shut up. Yeah. It was a meta-narrative <laughs> thing I was doing. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to hit help, man. stop on these. There we go. That, that was, you know, I had fun. I had a good time listening to it. I had a good time reading Nick's script. Hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Like I said, a short one today, cutting everything down. Uh, just because I thought this would be a really fun, kind of weird, different thing to do here early in the year. I hope everyone it, it had a, has a wonderful week. And thanks again to Nick for writing that. And thanks again to, uh, you know, Nick and Adam and Devin and Andy for reading it. And, and all of you for listening. Thank you. Uh, find us wherever you do stuff because we're probably doing it there. And I forgot to tell you guys, if you are in L.A. on February 24th, I'm bringing back my show, Boast Rattle. It is a comedic compliment contest. Head-to-head, -head, nice roasting. That'll be February 24th. Just follow me, at Kyler's on Instagram and Twitter. That's where you'll see info about that. Thank you so much. 
Hey folks, Kyle here. Thank you for listening. Just taking another quick second out here and add on uh, my own show. Figure this is a good time to remind everyone of these shows I got coming up. I'm in Eureka, California. I'm in Portland, Oregon, Seattle, and Oakland, California, all starting actually next week. Basically some dates in there, May 16th in Eureka, 18th in Portland, May 23rd in Seattle, and May 25th in Oakland. Doing my show hard to say, uh, this comedy show I'm working on about living with trigeminal neuralgia. I've gone on and uh, on enough about it on here. I really had a, a lot of fun out in, in Colorado last month, and people came out from the shows, and that was it's the best. Seeing people out at shows who, who like the podcast is just the best, and developing this show about... The very odd and difficult thing I'm going through has been a pleasure that is unexpected and makes me very happy, and I'm very proud of the show. Um, like I said, the, I've got those dates coming up at kyleayers.com slash shows. Please grab tickets now. Grab them while you're listening to this. Send it to a friend. Tell them to come out. Seattle, Portland, Eureka, Oakland. Uh, I would love for tickets to get moving a little bit. And so with the venues that are emailing me and they're just, it's going to be a really good time. I hope to see you out. Thank you so much. I hope you're enjoying the episode. Once again, kyleairs.com slash shows. Uh, y'all are the best. Thank you. The absolute, the best. <laughs> 